Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but prefer the classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the The final Final girl. everybody welcome to horror movie survival guide i'm terry i'm julia and today we have a dear friend of mine i am so excited we have mr tom lank star of stage film and screen some of you may know him from his 27 episode arc on buffy the vampire slayer and many other wonderful joss whedon projects um as well as he is now an instagram influencer um lanks looks for less check him out doing fun uh rehashings of red carpet looks uh for your pleasure and lots of other fun comedy videos um tom welcome to the show oh my god thanks for having me i'm so happy to be here yes we are pumped Yay. to have you here we're gonna talk about your career and life and then we're gonna talk about a movie uh cabin in the woods today so i'm super pumped to talk with you about all of that um so- so I want to ask, and I ask first off, uh, I know that you, Terry and Tom know each other and have for a long time, but I don't know how you met. Can you I tell me how you met? I don't even remember, Tom. I just feel like I've known you since I started at UCLA. We met, I think, through Music Theater Workshop, yeah. which was before they had a music theater program at UCLA. They used to have this thing down in the music department. And yeah. Yeah, we, I don't camera, did we, was, was that quarter, were we doing a show or were we just doing audition technique and then the like performance at the end? I, can't I think remember. we might've done like an audition technique thing together. Like, okay, come in and do your music theater songs. We sang show tunes together. Wait, was that the quarter that we did tap? your troubles away <laughs> something like that probably yeah. i'm a terrible tapper so probably oh me too oh yeah <laughs> and have to make our ways through it oh god <laughs> oh man so yeah so uh, it's funny because this is a horror movie podcast but julie and i do spend a lot of time talking about musicals and people i think probably wonder how connected we are and that's how of connected course. people need to know that i did a lot of music theater i still do every now and again when i get a chance when okay wait, let's back. drop let's drop a musical theater uh l- little um uh what, just credit of yours we also <laughs> did we did a production of jesus jesus christ superstar yes at ucla but not not through it was just our friend colin slash my ex rented the food <laughs> playhouse and put it on his credit card and we did this like jesus christ superstar but it's set at a rave oh, and so no yes, <laughs> the wildest weirdest most wonderful fun production oh! my grandfather like at 90 years old came to that show and like loved it <laughs> He left I mean, Jesus what, up the rave. <laughs> what part did you play? I was Simon Bellitz. So you sang, um, Christ, uh, do you know I love you? Did you see your way? way? Yes. I believe in you, God. So tell me, I'm saying, Yes, Jesus, I am on your side. Help me, help me, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> 
with a full orchestra, mind you. Oh my god, um, that's conducted right. by the late Damon Interpretalo, who wrote uh, the musical Bear, yeah. which was an off-Broadway uh, hit. Um, and I feel like the precursor to Dear Evan Hansen, but that's my own theory on that. If you watch Dear Evan Hansen, it's like a lot of similarities to Bear, and um, even some of the choreography and some of the staging. I was like, oh, okay. All right. I'm I'm already living for this, you guys. I just want to let you know. I'm sitting back there in in delight. You guys can sing show tunes this whole time as far as I'm oh concerned. Oh my gosh. We all did a, a production of Once on this Island, which is just a whole Oh no. That show. Oh my god. I wasn't in I wasn't in that one, but I helped make the scenery for that. That's what it was. And uh you guys did it in the theater that was down at the Semmel Institute uh, for Psychiatry. It was just like uh, it was in the med school at UCLA in the, yeah. one of their med school theaters. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but also, anyway, also back to Jesus Christ Superstar. I played I played Peter, and I That's was right. I hate that part. It's the worst part in the whole show. You were so good though. And we, you know, we did the song that they put back in. Um, I think you made your point now. That's the dumbest song ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but it, was, it was really nice because you need a break in between like the high octane stuff. And I love that moment. It was very vulnerable and very cool. Anyway. I just really thought I should be playing Jesus. And I was angry that John <laughs> was playing it. And he has an amazing voice. So screw him. Um, but also Terry came to visit me. I, I was on tour with Gristas musical in Germany uh and while i was this is when I, right after i met julia so i was in england yeah. with school with julia at the time and i hopped over to backpack during christmas time and i came to see you in greece das musical <laughs> in Munich. oh we we uh it was like everything closed down and we went and walked around like the royal palace in munich or whatever it was such a i mean i can't believe we did that and it was so christmas weird. so we like woke up christmas morning like of la kids abroad you know eating a bowl of cereal in your hotel room after we had seen you in greece das musical the night before and it was super wonderful we've had so many international adventures we yeah. were in scotland last summer both there for oh. the edinburgh fringe festival so tom you have to tell us about that you are part of these crazy beautiful shows so you do a lot of theater not just TV and everything too, but you've uh, written and and starred in this amazing uh, amazing adventures. And this one last summer, you were wrote a show that you were in as well as another show that you were starring in. So you're doing yeah. double time last year in Edinburgh. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yes, I was doing a show called Tom Lank is Trash, and <laughs> it was sort of taking what I was doing on Instagram and uh, putting it mixing it with what I've done in my whole life, which is, you know, live comedy theater. Um, and so it was just like live craftertainment and it was super fun and weird. And then I was also doing the Tilda Swinton play, Tilda Swinton answers an ad on Craigslist. Oh my God. That uh, sounds amazing. What is that? Of show. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's this amazing play that my friend Byron Lane wrote and I play Tilda Swinton as if, as yes, if, she's like a Mary Poppins character that comes in and fixes this guy's life. Um, and it it's is so one of the fun. Best. Wow. That I, sounds, I would watch that so fucking hard. Yes, oh would. my God. I can't wait for a theater to happen again so that we can be doing it. Cause it's so much fun. And we've like, we've been self producing it for the past three ish years and I've taken it to London and Scotland and New York and San Francisco. So it's just been this fun adventure. And Terry was there producing, uh, our, our uh, what's, what's the, uh, filament. Our, yeah. I was doing filament. filament. Yeah. 
work for, I work as this, and I run away during the circus sometimes, kids. So I was working in production for a circus show called Filament with short round production. So we were also in Edinburgh with the show. And I had to do some comedy theater with 30 minute musicals as well, thanks to Tommy. Yeah, uh, they were, somebody dropped out at the last minute and Terry swooped in and saved the show. I like you, it. Is that where you were a velociraptor? Where I was a velociraptor in Jurassic Park <laughs> musical. Yes. But Tommy, Tom has also been in 30 minute musicals before and has played um, a played the, dinosaur as well. He played, yeah, the, played the, the T Rex. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Does it yeah. feel different, like a T Rex versus a Velociraptor vibe? So those different, those are different vibes. Well, they're different roles. <laughs> yeah, the different roles, and you know, the the T Rex has much smaller arms. Um, yeah, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the T Rex has the showstopper, like the 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 raptor raps, and the and the T Rex is like the quintessential music theater, like Maven, like it's like Ethel Merman came to life as a T Rex. So dumb! <laughs> oh my so god, that sounds amazing. Dumb. We've done some weird stuff, but I want to talk with you also about some of your other stuff that the kids, I think, at home want to hear about as well. Um, Legit credits. Yes. Okay. Go for it. I'm obsessed with all of this stuff too. Uh, But tell us, um, I guess, I think people probably most notably know you from back uh, doing your amazing arc in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Can you tell us how that came to be and like what that was like working with Joss uh, at the very beginning? Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, that seems to be the, uh, the credit that people just won't let go of. <laughs> I'm lucky to be known for something, Tom. Come on. I'm so strange. I can do so many things. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was like my first big break in Hollywood. And I, I actually met the casting assistant, uh, at a, at one of those workshops and she brought me in for a vampire role. And I booked that in season five and I did that. And then, uh, casting brought me in. I guess they had a rule. If you didn't show your face, you could play another part. So casting brought me in for the role of Andrew, which was actually originally supposed to be the role of Tucker. But for whatever reason, I think the actor was in like a Christian boy band or something. I could be making this up. Um, <laughs> but I can't remember. He had been on, but they were basically taking people who had been on the show uh, before and having them come as sort of like in a new little group. Anyway, that guy didn't, he wasn't available. Thank God. And so I, t- I took his part and then they made it his brother. Well, if it, like, it was a Christian boy band, then you should really thank God. Cause that's like, God. Uh, Jesus in heaven. Jesus Christ. It all comes back as the superstar. But yeah, so I booked it and it was supposed to be just 10 episodes that season of season six. And then it, turned into more and then they kept bringing us back and i got to basically join uh the scooby gang essentially so uh, epic you guys were the guys in the van you guys were like the craziest little like yeah. set of villains that ever did villain and i mean spoiler alert press pause if you don't want to know what happens but i i it's been a long time so i don't care uh but so then i but then i, I killed one of the guys my friend emmy award winner danny strong now yeah. and uh and then i can't remember uh somebody killed oh and then tara killed the other one mm-hmm. adam bush uh who played warren um right i was actually supposed to be andrew was written as the leader of the trio but clearly my uh i did not have leader vibes in my audition so they they, but I was funny, I guess, and so they adjusted the part a little bit, which was awesome. Yeah. And how did your life change 
when you, I mean, you, you, you book this gig that you, you know, you think is going to be one thing. It turns into another thing. And also you're part of this incredible cult classic and you can look back at it now and think about it, but like, you know, think about how it felt when that happened and like, how did you, your life change? Well, it changed. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I got to audition. I don't know. It just, it changed everything. It, uh, I got, I moved into Danny's apartment building. I lived upstairs from Danny Strong for seven years. Um, I, I don't know. I just remember getting that call that I booked that part. I was at Bank of America on Melrose and it just was so exciting, but also it's like the only time that's happened because, um, you know, I've, I've gone through many an audition and I've booked many roles after that, but it's never been like, hi, you're guaranteed 10 episodes of TV. Right. Um, and you know, that's, uh, other than, booking a series regular role you couldn't ask for more i don't think they even do this i don't think they nowadays i go in for this like might possibly be recurring which essentially means like we're gonna write you in one episode and then probably yeah, never use you again but yeah. this way we'll, we can string you along um for you know thinking it's more and that way we can treat you horribly on set but you can't speak up because you want to um you want to be employed for another episode uh, I won't say what show that I'm referring to that that happened on, but um, anyway, Hollywood. Oh my gosh. It's oh so my glamorous, God. isn't it? It's so glamorous. So well, many so, things that you, Tommy. So that was, that was like you know I've I've done many I've, I've continued to work after that show, but I've never got to you know play such a a fu- like a fun, well written part. It just was so cool. I even, you know, they even wrote a whole episode centered around my character, which was like, oh my god, that you just don't get that. You you rarely get that. So right. I am very grateful that I had that opportunity, and also like I was, you know, uh, anxious the whole time because you don't want to be killed off on, on that show, and uh, you know, just wanted everyone to like me, people pleasing, all that sort of stuff. So, um, but it was just such a cool, uh, you know, a cool way to sort of start one's career, I guess. But it's also, you know, you it's not that you started it, but it's kind of continued because you now you have a relationship with Joss Whedon where you're able to be, you worked with him several times now. So it's something that, you know, it's not like a one and done thing. Like it's, it's continuing. Um, well, also it's weird because I, uh, I'm not uh, a particularly, well, okay. I'm not a horror, a horror fan in that I get too scared. And so I've never really been able to watch horror movies <laughs> until like the last couple of years. I've finally eased my way into American horror story has sort of eased my way into mm-hmm. it. And now I've been able to see things that like, I, I was able to watch bird box. I was able to watch a quiet place, things okay. like that. But I get, um, but it was interesting that my career started in a horror genre and like, that's not what I was watching. Uh, but then I've gone on, you know, I was on angel. Uh, I, I'm in the movie we're about to talk about today, cabin in the woods. So Mm -hmm. it's just so weird that, uh, you know, my, my specific taste in what I was watching was not what I ended up starting my career in. Um, but I will say I'm getting better. Uh, can you watch Cabin in the Woods? Because it's really, really fucking intense. Uh, okay, here's what I'm going to say. I when I got to Vancouver to start filming, and they they gave me the uh, the script that was in a binder on printed on red pages, so I couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. I guess photocopy it or something. Um, 
I was sitting in my hotel read hotel room reading the script and shaking just from reading it. Like I was so scared just from reading the script. You guys, that's I cannot separate reality when I'm reading something or watching something. I don't know what it is. And like I've been. Co- I've been covered in fake blood before, but then when, so I know it's not real, but then when I'm seeing it on screen, I can't not. Anyway, please picture me at the, at the premiere of the movie. Um, and sorry, we're talking about the movie already. You guys. No, you're great. No, talk about it. I don't apologize. You're great. This is cash. I, okay. So the, the, like the first jump in the movie, like the where you scream is when they flash the title of the movie, and I screamed like this. I fully did not know it was coming, and was like, ah! like I screamed so loud at that theater. People looked, turned around, and looked at me, and like I'm in the. I know what happens in the movie, and that was I was gripping my boyfriend at the time. I just like screaming, like like. <laughs> that's how i watch a horror movie i'm still in love with this i love this it's sometimes okay. you'll like text me like I, you, I know you've been trying the last like little while the last couple of years you'll send me like a little message to be like hey am i gonna be okay in this movie or just like into this, like trying to triage and figure out how you can watch more horror so i really like appreciate your effort especially you were gone from like ladies screaming in the movies <laughs> I, know. I, I know i just Okay, I also I I dated this guy a long time ago and he was obsessed with horror movies and whatnot. And he would always try to get me to watch movies with him and I'm like I can't, I can't, I can't. And he like one time he made me watch Saw with him and I was like that's oh, that's intense. It was either Saw or Hostel. I can't remember. Those are both real. That's how you ease somebody into horror. That's like straight for the, you know. You need comedy horror or something. You need a Fright Night. You need a Shaun of the Dead, you know. Oh, I love Shaun of the Dead. Lucy Davis, I love her. Mm -hmm. Um, I... So he made me, he was basically threatened to break up with me if I didn't go see oh, the fuck, see the others with him in no. the theater. <laughs> Jesus, that's an ultimatum. That's, that mean, one, that's, not a, that's not a good relationship. This sounds like not good. Oh no, it did not end well. Um, <laughs> did, is that the one with Liv Tyler and... No, that's The Strangers. The others is uh, Nicole Kidman. Okay, I'm sorry. It was the strangers. Okay. What about that? Is that a, is that an intense one? Yeah, where they're in the cabin and there's like people with masks that are outside. Yes. They're trying okay, to get in. There we go. Sorry, that's the one. Okay. So that's he made me go see that in the theater, and he just basically laughed at me the whole time because oh. I was squirming and screaming. And I, I mean, I, I texted Terry recently. I'm like, why do people like horror? Who wants to feel this way for two hours? I don't want to feel this way. I want to feel good. Like, it's hard enough to get me to go see a drama movie because I don't want to be upset the whole time. So, yeah. I don't know. I just don't know why. Can, and Terry, can, what was... Can I give you my explanation why? Okay, please, yes. To me, it's like the exhilaration of being on a roller coaster, right? It's that scary feeling of, like, I'm doing something scary, but I know I'm safe. Does that make sense? I, it's what I, I just... I, my explanation, too, is similar. Just, like, people want to feel something, though, too. It's like having that... It is having that emotion. You know you're going to go through something, and you just want to feel alive for a little while. And the easiest emotion sometimes to go to, as we know, just from our lives and climate and political climate, everything often is fear. It's the easiest thing to kind of harness into. And um, 
I don't know. And, and then we also kind of like a cute boys that are in the movies, and that helps <laughs> us. Oh yeah, that as well. I think yes, Tom. But when you're <laughs> yeah. a, when you're an anxious person like me, you live your life in fear all the time. So I don't know what I'm like relaxing if I want to be afraid um but there's a buildup and a release there's like a cathartic element to it we're like you're like oh no oh no oh no scare and then oh ha 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 it's just a cat you know or whatever like there's this like and I, I think when you watch horror movies with an audience which is the best way and especially with like a big audience and you feel everybody's fear and then it builds and builds and builds and then there's this like complete laughter throughout the whole audience it's this like feeling of and I miss it. I'm sorry. I miss movie theaters right now. And thinking about watching in a movie in a horror movie in a movie theater makes me very happy and sad. But that's the kind of idea of it. Like, but there is safety. Like you're not. They're on the screen. They're not going to get you. Right. You're fine. It's just your imagination that's getting it. Yeah. I get. <sighs> okay. I just, that's right. That's right. That's it's okay. You know what, you it's know what cool. We'll do, next we'll do. We'll watch them like horror musicals together. Yes. Uh-huh. That might be the way in because we've done a whole round of that. I think we're going to do another one. I feel like soonish. Yeah. How and like sweet, Sweetie Todd is like the perfect. Oh, yeah. oh, that's true. But like, are there? There's only a handful of horror musicals. There's that are more movies. than you think. Than you oh, think, really? Believe it or not. Yeah. Wow. We did. Fam- wow. We did Phantom of the Paradise. We did Repo Genetic Opera. Uh, we're gonna gonna do Little Shop of Horrors and Rocky Horror. There's mm-hmm. Shock Treatment. Like, there's just a. There's a Is whole little shop of horrors considered a horror. Absolutely. There's People blood. Die. And, die and they eat. Get eaten. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was just under and the also torture. That dentist. <laughs> I just thought it was under the gay genre. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot of horror actually falls under, which uh, one of our dear friends, uh, Michael Verratti, who has an, a wonderful podcast, Dead for Filth, uh, yeah. also on that show, Dragula, which is like drag race, but like, but oh, yeah. drag scenes, which is one of the best things that's on Netflix right now too, that I've been binging during the summer. Um, it's really, really great. So, but, um, but Michael Verratti has queer horror is his, um, is his ang- not angle that makes it sound like it's, <laughs> And that's what he talks a lot at the special right. like we'll call special him about thank it. you that's definitely a better word yeah, also, speaking of queer horror you, this this movie i'm realizing maybe made me gay uh, i don't <laughs> think of it i think of it as a comedy but um uh, elvira mistress of the dark yes. yes i think i saw it when i was 12 and just there's a shot of her at the end with uh where she's in like, she's got pasty tassels on and she likes, she spins one boob one way and one the other way. And then both the same direction and both the other direction. And I laughed so hard at that. And that maybe is the moment that I became gay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're like, gays are funny. That's hilarious. Can I tell you, can I tell you a fun fact? Um, I used to, I did briefly, I did burlesque. Um, My, uh, my name was Cherry Popsicle. And I took, I took a tassel twirling class in which there was a room of like 15 women topless with pasties on trying to get their boobs to like coordinate. (laughs) It's like every perv's dream. And I eventually learned how to do it. I learned how to do one one way and one the other. I was very, very proud. Yes! That's yes. amazing! I didn't know you could do that, Julia. Yeah, I don't think anybody got to see that talent in real life, but I just, you know, that's in the back pocket, guys. Special <laughs> skills. No? I would put wow. that on my special skills in the resume, honestly. That's amazing. Titty um, souls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. 
Wow. Okay. So this podcast has gone everywhere and I am here for it. Um, tell us more, Tom. I want to know a little bit, dive a little bit more into your career a little bit more before we, uh, we'll circle back to the movie. Yes. Okay. Um, what can I tell you? What I do you want to know? I want to know. What, what it, I want to know, but what is a project that you're very proud of that people yeah. don't ask you about enough? Yeah. Well, since we all ask you about Buffy. That is, that's a very thoughtful question. I, um, you know, I, I guess it's, it's a, a stage play and that's the thing. Like that's the thing that's so special about doing live theater is that the number of people that are going to see it is so much it's so it's tiny compared to what can live on, on film. Um, but I did a production. I did two productions of buyer and seller, uh, which is a, a one person play. Uh, it was off Broadway originally played, uh, starred, um, Michael Yuri, mm-hmm. And it is about a guy who gets a job working in Barbara Streisand's basement of her mansion, basically <gasps> the mall. Yeah. The mall. So Jonathan, <laughs> The writer Jonathan Tollins imagined a a world that takes place in okay so basically Barbara Streisand wrote this book in the like late nineties early two thousands called My Passion for Design okay. and it just <laughs> it's just a book chronicling her pet project which was building basically a New England farm house and barn in Malibu she basically like. <laughs> bought like multiple properties next to each other, combined them and then built this barn and then had a basement in the barn where she built like, like a, like a, a main street Disney USA. In oh my the, God. Now, so, doesn't she have like a doll shop in there? Like notorious. Yeah, there's like, there's like a room where she keeps her dolls. There's a dessert bar where she has a frozen yogurt machine. It's and like, she basically takes, she has the photos in this book and, and talks about it. And just disc- like, like wow. you can't, like anyone cares about your f- your freak fucking mansion, your fake barn with functioning mini mall in the basement. Anyway, it's wild and hilarious. And she went on Oprah to promote it. And um, wow, she might I remember insane. that saying. I remember that episode of Oprah, and I just felt like it was like the, one of those Arrested Development, like someone with too much money who could make their own dollhouse. Do you know what I mean? Though, like, kind of a vibe. Wow. Yeah, I, I'll never forget that episode because she admits to Oprah that she spray painted Oprah's microphone white for when she was going to sing so that it would match, so it would be a monochromatic theme with her outfit and yeah. the set. Wow. Everything had to be cream colored. Um, and like you sort of see the the way she writes the book is in her voice. So if anyone wants, it's like you have to buy buy it on ebay but or you know used copies but it's so fun to read because she writes it the way she talks and and she sort of writes it as if like yeah wouldn't you don't you need a screening room don't you need a room for all of your awards like it's so out of touch (laughs) with like but i but you know like fans of barbara i'm assuming bought that book oh yeah there's there's so it's there's lovely sounds- photos in it, but also there's photos that she took on like a grainy early <laughs> digital camera and like published in a book that are like not high res enough to be in a book. It sounds like Neverland Ranch, but slightly classier. That's what I'm picturing. A hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Uh, so anyway, the play take uh, takes place in that mini mall. Oh so like God. it's established that this mall is real and this guy imagined uh, Mike, the character I played is this, uh, 
sort of out of work gay actor who goes to work as her assistant working in the mall. And his only job is to work in the mall every day. And like once a day she comes down to visit him. And so you play many, it's sort of like when you, uh, did, if you did like speech competitions where you, it's one of those one person shows where you play all the different characters and sort of talk back mm. and forth to yourself. So, so sometimes you're talking as Barbara and then you flip back to your, your main character and then you flip back to Barbara. And I got to a place where I could cry out of my right eye as Barbara and keep the left side dry as the other character. Jesus. Wow. And it was so fun. I did it at Pittsburgh public theater mm-hmm. uh, the first time. And it was so, it means the hardest thing I've ever done because you, you have to memorize verbatim 60 pages of dialogue and they advertise it. By the way, if you're going to see this play, they advertise it as like an hour and a half. It it's, it's like the fastest I ever did it, which was like nonstop, no pause for laughing laughing was like an hour and 15 minutes. So it's a little too long to be a one act, but it is a one act and there's no break to pee for the audience or the actor on stage. And so it was, it was such a challenge. I took like three months leading up to it to like try and learn like half a page every day. And of course I didn't really do that because I'm a huge procrastinator, but I did for the first time ever in my life, I showed up at rehearsals having about half of the play memorized in advance. But really if um, for me, like, Oh my God, I'm going on and on about this. No, topic, it's great. Guys. Sorry. No, this is what we're it. living for. We're, here uh, for. we're not stopping you. This is great. Like you really, uh, Terry back me up. Like it, we really need to sort of, go through the um the blocking like when you have a lot to memorize like you yeah. need you need the assistance of like where you are on stage a little what you're holding your body. Mm-hmm. yeah like you need muscle memory to help associate so anyway it was so interesting uh interesting i i um i was directed by my friend uh don oh my god why am i blanking his last name we did rock of ages together and we shared a dressing room um and he why I'll think of it anyway, he basically sort of approached it as a musical and gave me all the choreography of where I would be on stage so that like, as we rehearsed it, I knew exactly where I would be in the space to help me remember where I was in the play. Anyway, it was so much fun. So challenging. I like, I had to like, eat the same thing every day before the show so that I would know I'm not going to have food poisoning. Like I'm going to eat a turkey sandwich with a granola bar and an apple for dinner, approximately an hour and a half before the show. Like you, cause you could not have risk any sort of bodily function on right. stage. Um, and Did you ever blank out? Um, I occasionally I like skipped ahead, but was able to, uh, insert something later so that none of the information was lost. So you, yeah. I did get to a point where I, if I, if I messed up, I would be saying the words with one half of my brain and on the other half of my brain, I was like problem solving on how to get to where I would need to be. Mm-hmm. So that was so weird. Um, and then I did it again in Hartford, Connecticut at theater works, Hartford. And, uh, was a completely different experience and different approach to it, which was weird and rewarding um, to sort of like take something that you learned 
and then unlearn it. And then, because like I, they like that director wanted uh, different characters to be playing the other parts. Like you wanted different voices and different blocking. And so it was all, it, it was weird to take something I knew so well and then, and then take it out of my head and then put it back in in a whole new way. That's um, a real exercise. That's yeah. gotta be so hard. So anyway, that was, that was me rambling to answer your question of like, what's the thing that you're the proudest of, or that people don't ask you about. And for me, it's that because I, you know, I, I I've never had to remember like Terry might mm-hmm. remember that people used to make fun of me for uh, going up on lines and forgetting things. But on you're also stage. King of improv, so you would always make it like even funnier. So I just thought that sometimes that you did it on purpose. We didn't make fun of it. Oh, yeah, no, like, like, it's like the ultimate ham. I was like, who is just trying to make the show better now? No one's going to forget that moment. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm still haunted by going up in our production of Into the Woods where I'm supposed to be singing, but it isn't my fault. I was given those beans. You persuaded me to trade away my cow floor beans, and I, I just went. But it isn't my fault. I was given those beans. So I was like, I had a hand. And haunted. But also, like, icon as Jack in that production is that UCLA. So good. I forgive myself because, uh, like, I was not. I, I was not sleeping in college. I was like, my brain was shot. My ADD was maxed out, um, and I didn't. You know, I, I I didn't know that I should be um not like carrying around that memory of being a bad mem- memorizer so that doing this production sort of like healed me in a way i was like uh-huh. oh wait i can memorize things and it is possible to learn word for word because you cannot change the lines when when the uh, the writer lives in connecticut and might show up to see okay yeah um so, you know they're very you know in a Broadway, off-Broadway show, they're like, you you don't get to change the words. There's no improvising in this. So it was such a huge thing in my life to learn that much and do it successfully. And I was so proud of it. And no one will ever see it! Uh, unless we do it again, or unless you guys make a movie of it, or something happens. Yeah. right. And now, peop- and now people know about it, they're listening to this podcast, so it gets out more and more. Also, you if go. you just want a fun read, uh, get that play and just read it. It's so well written and so funny, and uh, it's it's f- fun to just to to read on its own. I think they filmed it. Michael Yuri filmed it maybe for PBS or something. I don't know. It's probably out there. All right, we'll take a look for buyer seller then. Yeah, yeah. I love. I love. Can you tell me a little bit more? I just want to ask you too about Rock of Ages and just your Broadway stint and. Tell me, like, what that was oh, like. Oh, yeah. Like, really talk with you about your Broadway time. Well, I actually did the original production of Rock of Ages in L.A., and uh, so I technically originated the role of Franz. Yes. Yeah. German sidekick character. And it, <laughs> my friend Patty and I were playing opposite each other, and we occasionally improvise and things made it into the script. And so it was like this casual laid back thing we were doing in LA, which is fun. And then like cut to it, like uh, against all odds made it to Broadway, but I didn't go do, I got offered to the, um, the off Broadway thing, but I didn't know that that was, I didn't really understand that that was a big deal. And I regret, saying no, but I was like, I can't move to New York for $500 a week off Broadway salary. Like, how am I supposed to live my life? Um, 
but then I, I had to audition once it did go to Broadway. I didn't get to do it on Broadway. Uh, Wesley Taylor played the role. But then when he left after six months, I auditioned to replace him. And I can't believe I got it, but I did. Um, Cause that's just like Murphy's laws. Like, no, you're not going to get to play the part that you originated, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I did. And um, it was, it was a crazy six months uh, doing a Broadway show. It's like eight shows a week. Yeah. It was my first time doing eight shows a week. Um, and it's a very, it's very, I don't know, Terry, how, like you've done theater all over the place. Mm -hmm. The, the sort of like, I mean, when we did rock of ages originally, there was like, there were a lot of comedy people in it and there was sort of a laid back vibe to it. And you would do it slightly different every night. Like, music theater in new york is where it's frozen you got to do it the same exact it's way it's like much more robotic yeah everything's really set oh really uh, yeah it's, it's like shows- you're gonna go see the same show you're gonna see the same show and like i, I know what you're talking about it's, it's a different vibe it's a very different vibe and i in my opinion i don't know if it's i don't know if it's better uh but you know musical theater performers like if you say your line in a different way, like it can, you know, it throws off their rhythm. It can throw yeah. them off, you know, like you affect their show in a way. And I think there's a, a healthier way to perform, which is to approach everything. Like, obviously you have to stand in the same place and you have to have the same intention behind the lines. But I think you can let there be life to what's happening and like to be, letting it happen like it's happening for the, you know, Eliza Minnelli on the actor studio said, she asked her daddy, daddy, what is acting? And he said, he's seeing something, saying something and hearing something for the very first time. And I think you can take that. <laughs> I think you can take a little Eliza, uh, yeah. Minnelli and, and, you know, like let there be life to things and let yourself be surprised by things. And so I do find like, especially with Tilda, we would have little moments of, of um, that were slightly different every night where we knew we were going to let, you know, let a little bit of improvisation. Look, you can't improvise in a musical. I get it. Right. But I think, um, I think I do love, because also Broadway is very like, if you didn't come up in the ranks in New York, mm-hmm. like Did it's hard to really. outsider there too? Yeah. Like it's hard to really be a part of the quote unquote, you know, New York, broadway community mm-hmm. um but it's like also like sort of i've been thinking about this a lot during quarantine where like we have to like broadway is in danger of not coming back i'm like no no like broadway is just the most corporate mainstream theater that's happening in america and like it'll come back oh don't you worry corporations won't let they won't want to not make their millions of dollars but like if you came up doing theater elsewhere, I just feel like I'm not saying that we're, that we're, we're better than you. I'm just saying it's different. And like, it's, it's also more of a struggle. You can't, when you're doing theater in Los Angeles or other cities, you're doing it because you're passionate about it and you're not making money at it. So right. like, and off obviously doing it in LA, like you're, 
a lot of people are doing it to get exposure or to promote their TV career. But there's a lot of us that do it just because we love it and we will die if we don't do it. So I just feel like uh, there's not one way to do theater. And I do think that New York really sort of calls dibs on American theater. I don't know. Terry. Yes. What do you, what are your, what are your thoughts? What are my thoughts on that? I think you've said some stuff, some, some serious truths in that. I think there is some space in other places for you to create different performances. I'm just thinking of you and Tilda, Well, I saw you do it in Los Angeles, um, you know, at the Casita del Campo, one of the most illustrious theaters in all of Los Angeles. <laughs> it's in the basement of a Mexican restaurant for those who are not LA savvy. It's one of my favorite places to go see live theater, just because it's always strange, wonderful, experimental, usually stuff that you'll never see elsewhere. Or maybe you'll just see in New York and another little basement theater, the Lori Beachman. Um, theater as well but i loved getting to see you do that role i think within like and then like a, maybe a year or two later do it in edinburgh and the show was completely different but the same it's the same story but the energy the vibe just because i was in a different room in a different place you were hitting different stuff um you guys had room for variation and i know what you're talking about as far as like when you're in a in a stage play that's not a musical necessarily you do have space to make it new in those ways and the best musicals i think get a chance to do that too um there are some shows that have that space rock of ages i love it we love our dear friend Kristen hanging who directed it also from ucla um but that's like definitely like it's it's a different type of musical i think there's different shows like if you go to see something like once which was more of like a uh which, um, which my friend Megan Reardon started in Dublin. Yay! Shout out Ooh, Megan. And my friend Erica was in it on Broadway. What's up, Erica? Shout out to all of our friends on the <laughs> and shows. Um, but it was just really, um, I think that was a different type of experience as far as what the acting was being asked, to how, how it served the show. Yeah. There are some shows where it's like, it's a Fitz jukebox musical like rock of ages is and there's a lot of other really wonderful jukebox musicals that are fun they're just really about those songs not necessarily the story moving it forward yeah and there's you know what i mean i think i think it just depends on the type of production and type of show i think you're going to find actors that are doing everything no matter what city you're in in new york included but i do get how the corporatization and the disneyfication and all that stuff has kind of changed what broadway is about in certain arenas, but I still think there's space for everything. So I'm optimistic that especially during this like time of quarantine, as we sit back and kind of assess and look at what's possible, I think there's going to be a lot of really beautiful, wonderful work that's going to come out of this that I'm very excited to see. And I think it's going to be grounded in a different way because we're also going to be like celebrating that we made it out. Do you know what I mean? Though, Like I think there's going to be something about the immediacy of that, that I'm very much looking forward to when we can get back and like breathe in rooms and spit on each other again safely, you know? Well, here's as I'm like become more and more angry about corporate America, et cetera. I just, I, you know, and, and about bring, bring Broadway back. It's like, no, bring, bring all of theater back. Like theater, the thing that are, the theater that's going to need more help is regional theaters yep. across the country. And I think about how, you know, in order for a musical to make money, it has to run for like approximately three or four years to make its initial investment back. And oh, that wow. shouldn't have to be like the, we, because you have to spend at least $14 million on a set and you have to spend this many million on the, 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 
props or the, the the advertising on the outside of the building like in on the west end london like musicals aren't as expensive to produce there therefore they don't have to you don't have to run for three years in order to be a hit. Like you could have a limited run, like a six month run and be a a profitable production. Also like why, like, I don't know, having done Tilda in various spaces from like a a thousand seat theater in San Francisco to um, basement in LA or basement, weird, like old railway, tunnels vaults in london underneath right. a subway station uh, like see the, the mat like a really great show can be performed anywhere with no set which is why i've only saw the first half of the harry potter play mm-hmm. and obviously i had fun but like you can't do that show without its 25 million dollar set it just no. like, cannot be done i saw like, the whole thing though it was pretty freaking great but it's I pretty get it. great but like does the actual play hold up? Could you do it our town style with two ladders and a black box theater? No. Like you need all of that, like expensive, like magic tricks and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is I think like, what if we, I'm thinking that I'm thinking that maybe this time without theater will allow us to come back and see it in a new way. And please feel free to cut any of this for time in your podcast because your horror audience did not sign up for like me talking about the future of the American theater. But no, yes, we did. I, you're, it, but I hundred percent like this is what we, we want honesty. We want to know what you real fi- really think. And I think this is great to talk about the gratitude. I think that we're going to feel when we get to have theater again. And I think it's, we, it's, it's always one thing across the board for Tom as, as far as American theater. It's the same as we feel. I think for also movie theaters too. Yeah. I think they're having a reckoning very similar you know what I mean though in nature of like okay what are we supporting what is actually economical what makes sense you know as they push back tenant for the millionth time you know or like it's finally gonna come finally out or whatever um and all these all these big tentpole movies and it's like well we built this model that's not necessarily sustainable it's not and, and it's like, not about the big movie theaters. It's about the little guys though it's always about these little guys those are the ones that are most important like my friend um my best friend, Jack Plotnick, his musical opened on Broadway the same season as Hamilton. And it was basically like, no one's going to see, nobody wants to see something like tourists want to go see the big famous thing. That's a big hit. And they're not necessarily going to see a seventies jukebox musical called disaster. Um, Right. And like, you can't compete with that. And like, I, I've yet, I haven't seen um, Hamilton yet, and I, I'm really struggling with, am I going to watch it on this TV screen right. via Disney Plus? I don't know. I'm still... It's worth it. I'm going to say do it. It's I've, been, I've seen it in person, and I've also watched the Disney Plus. Um, but, I think it's one of the best filmings of a live theater production because the way that Tommy Kale, who's the director, actually spent the time to make it feel immediate and actually make it feel like as close as you can to um, a theater production. And I think the biggest reason they did go ahead and film it was also because they knew there were so many people who did not have access to this show that they felt should have access to this show. Well, that's the the thing. like The egalitarianism about it, that's why they made the film of of it. And they really filmed it like in a way that I think theater people really appreciate. 
Yeah, but I also I I didn't I haven't seen it live, and I did watch it on Disney Plus, and it was that thing where I'm like, yes, it's fantastic. I see it's fantastic, but if I was in a room with a thousand people, it would be a thousand times more fantastic. I, I and I'm I think I'm leaning towards I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it because otherwise it's gonna be years before I see it. Because also, I don't know if theater should be $600. Like, and yeah. I know people are saying like, Oh, but you know, there's a raffle and there's 30, you know, it's there's not 30, tickets. <laughs> 30 tickets every day that are normally priced. Like, I don't know if theater should be hi- hijacked in like, what's mm-hmm. the minimum that like you have, like what I'm assuming it's like 200, $300. If you want to go see it. Yeah, I, paid, the uh, with the, I, I paid 200. Well, I had a discount because I made, I've made a friend uh, who was in the gas <laughs> on the tour and I took my niece. We were in the 10th row center for 200 bucks each. I think uh, like, I did not pay for those tickets. My sister-in-law bought them for Christmas for us, but it was still a lot. But I, I, I think it's, what's crazy is I um, spent some time in Russia and theater tickets are like 15 bucks. Um, yeah, like, like to go see like, you know, literally the cherry orchard with like your favorite star. Do you know what I mean? They want to see like iconic productions because they make them more like movie theater tickets as far as the pricing there, because it's a different art and it's respected in a different way. Also so, like all theater through Europe mm-hmm. uh, like is being, uh, funded by like the government, by the government, yeah. uh, they have out. So I just feel like even Canada, in America, in America, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have billionaires and we shouldn't have $600 theater tickets. Like, mm-hmm. um, like also put a sitting production in, in, if it's that much of a hit, put a sitting production in LA, in San Francisco, in Chicago, in all these big cities and let like, and also like the people, the first three years that we're getting to see Hamilton was rich white people and that should not be the case and i just feel like i i want um i don't know i can't change it i can't change the model that's been set up but i'm i'm hoping that when we come back to live theater and to movie theaters that it'll be um i mean one could say like like should we look we should look at the like 30 dollars to see mulan like how do we feel about that i don't know what are your thoughts on that I just, I, I just want, I want people to ap- appreciate the, I, the, the community aspect of it. Cause to me, that's the most important part about live theater, right? Is that you're in a room with other people experiencing it, which is the same for movie theaters, like you, the community experience. And I think that that's what people forget. And when you're in an AMC and everything's all kind of separated and it's all this weird thing, it's not about community at all, but the independent cinemas and the independent theaters that's what it is about, right? It's about these communities coming together to make something happen. Um, and I think that when people realize how important that is and how much humans need it, I think it's going to be this like miraculous new kind of way to look at it. I mean, because I want to hear Tom Lady scream next to me <laughs> during a scary movie. <laughs> yes. We would miss that if we were in a theater together. Well, we should get, I'm sorry, I derailed us, but I mean, we can get get back on track to talking about the movie, but I will say that I like in some ways, uh, the movie theaters, it's like, in some ways it is a dying thing, like, because we can watch things in our, in our homes and like, I can watch a movie, but there's 20 episodes of the movie in my, in my house. Yeah. Great TV. You know, like I'm, I've only been watching Korean dramas f- for quarantine and like some of these shows 
are 20 episodes and each episode is an hour and a half and it's like full on movie production value. And, you know, so like, why should we go to the theater? I think what you're saying is like, it's the community aspect of it. And I think something that people will still want to see with other humans are horror movies because, and comedies, because you get that feeling like you don't laugh when you're in a room by yourself watching a show. I mean, you do, but it's, it's, it's rare when you're LOLing. It's really an in. It's there's something about being shoved together in a tight space with lots of people excited about the same thing that makes yes. you laugh. It's it why is. you don't laugh when you're when it's an empty theater and you and you're just there with a couple people. So I I do think when it like people will still go to see comedies and horror movies and these big action movies. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Now I will say, um, sh- do we need to talk about Cabin in the Woods in the theater? What did you guys see it in the theater? I did not. I, I did. I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Um, and I remember being, you know, because I'm a big horror fan since I was quite young. So to me, it's one of those things where, like, if you haven't seen a lot of horror movies and you someone watches this, it may not be good for like a beginner because there's so many references. <laughs> it's a send up yeah. to like all these movies. I'm actually really grateful that I watched it just recently in preparation for this pod today because I was like, oh my gosh, this is literally just like a love letter to like every horror movie. I was like, oh, it's the evil dead now. Oh, it's like the ring. They have like all these other movies that they are like kind of, you know, checking within like uh, their homages with all these other monsters that come up to it. So if you haven't watched a lot of movies this was not would not be the one to start with but aren't you proud terry that you know those references i, I mean did. i was really proud i was like oh i know that house oh i know that 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 like <laughs> all the little things it made me feel really good because i don't know if Tom, but like um so on the show like i i'm 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 more new to horror as well um and julia has really kind of you know been my guide through this minefield <laughs> of horror movies and so uh, but now but now you're tom's guide i know look at me look at me oh my Yay. god hey student become a master <laughs> giving back to the community. Um, okay. Cause I'm curious, obviously I knew what was happening when I went to see it the first time and I'm in it, which is also weird, but also it didn't come out. It sat on the shelf for like two or three years. It was oh, in like wow. a weird limbo. Cause it had been, I think it had been produced by United artists originally. And then it, or MGM or got it. Yeah. And then Lionsgate acquired it. And cause it was just like, nothing was going to happen. And then they swooped in and rescued it. Um, so it had been a while since I'd seen it. So obviously or had filmed it. So I was scared with all the, the things that jump out at you, <laughs> but I'm curious cause I just watched it last night again. And I was like, wow. Like, I, I wonder if there are things that people, like, were you confused when you're first watching it? Like as to what the control room was at yes. the beginning that they set up, you're like, wait, why am I watching this? Yes, of course. Like it's, you know, you're at, at the very, very beginning. Like it's just like two dudes talking on a, wa- on a water cooler, right? You're like, wait, yeah. am, I in the, am I in the right movie? What yeah, is this? I was like Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins. Like, okay, cool. Like awesome actors just like shooting the shit out of a water cooler. This does not seem scary yet. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay. Then I saw the kids getting in the van or the RV heading out there. Hot, young, Jesse. Girl in panties. Yeah. And like all these little things that are very iconically horror movie beginnings of like the jock. Like it was all 
all the like icons, you know, I was like, okay. Then there's like the stoner with like the super bong. That's a coffee cup. Like I was like, all right. Um, you know, uh, our, your dear friend Franz, they're going crazy. Um, and <laughs> he's, he is, his, and his performance is in so intense. Like it's he great. Is coming in hot, but also like, Oh, I, I get it. Franz, you're a nerd, but like, can we, can we acknowledge that underneath that baggy t-shirt is this intense ripped body? He's so, is he really he's so ripped? It's insane. Why do I know this? Oh, because, uh, when we did much ado about nothing, he had a shirtless scene swimming in the pool. And so I saw it then, but also I've seen him out. I always run into him at Sycamore kitchen on La Brea. I'm always <laughs> with my friend, Patty Wortham for some reason. That's Patty. And we, <laughs> We're constantly like, oh my God, this man is so erotic. And I don't know if enough people are <laughs> talking about it. He's what it. we call an undercover hottie. Because there, there's a few of them out there that are like kind of the nerd archetype guys that you're like, wait, but you're actually like ripped and hot underneath that. Yeah. Don't so know I, it. I take issue. Like, okay, stop stop taking the nerd roles. Let's just acknowledge that you're a hottie and move move on. Move on to the next level, sir. But, but like, <laughs> up, he, he, he's got it down, though. He's got the little word quirky kind of vibe to him. But it's I guess so good. Undercover but also, pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Yes. yes. And this movie we- didn't come out till after the Marvel movie started coming out. So, well, this was the first thing I saw him in. Cause I, I haven't seen any, uh, any of the Marvel, those Marvel movies, those, those wacky Marvel movies. Um, so this is, this is the first thing that I saw him in. Um, so the, here's the interesting Tom. Now we've been talking about corporate America. And I think that the most genius thing about this movie is as you know, as we find out as we go along is that basically demon d- worshiping demons has become a corporate job. Right, like yes. you are, you are fun. You are funding blood sacrifice for it, but it's it's corporate, so oh, it's soulless, funded, and right, yeah. they're betting on people. Um, and it, I think that's the. It's not only a send up of horror movies and uh, fucking brilliant and witty and all of that, but it's also a send up of like this core of how, how corporate will kill your soul no matter what you do, even if it's killing people, <laughs> right? It will physically, literally kill you. Um, yes. At what point when you were watching the first time did you go like, wait? This isn't just a horror movie. Like, this is also a comedy. When did that click in for you? The beginning. <laughs> it's definitely, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, it's horror comedy. This like straight through just from, just from like the conversation with the kids and then like her talking about her professor, you know, like from the beginning and like all of that. I and then the, the first, I, th- I think the first time we see that we see the kids on the monitors in the control room is where you're like, oh, okay, these two things are connected. They're watching them right is where it starts to k- grind together like what's happening um and but my favorite is you know we in uh, our podcast we talk about in friday the 13th there is crazy ralph who is the harbinger right which is this this exact role which is hilarious because we always talk about on this podcast is you should absolutely always listen to crazy ralph he will always tell you the truth please listen to him and then they have a whole right yeah exactly okay. and then they have a whole thing exactly yeah, about the guy with the taxidermies all in his place and he is a legit crazy ralph yes Mordecai and, or something yeah yeah and they're like you know he one of the things is they have to ignore the the harbinger and i'm like yes yes always but don't do that listen to them listen to the crazy ralph also i love that they they twist the the stereotypes and the like the hot blonde girl is actually the super smart one in med school, but she has just dyed her, her hair, hair blonde, and it's the chemicals in the blonde hair dye yeah. that is making her start turning into the stereotypical 
dumb blonde. And that hot, like Jesse Williams taking off his shirt and being like all hot jock. He's actually a nerd. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, Can we also talk about like his effortless acting in this movie? It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Oh, wow. You're, you're a star. Mm -hmm. Like, cause you're not having, you're just like saying your lines, but like you're in a funny horror movie, but you're also doing just like natural work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hate you, sir. I hate you when I love you, but I want to kiss your face. And just handsome as hell and also like a wonderful activist and like a great actor and then goes on. You yeah. have a great career after this. So yes. uh, good on him. But I think Cabin in the Woods is such a great film because I think, you know, you have Scream comes out and it's like, oh, now horror movies are meta. Now horror movies are aware they're horror movies, right? And that kind of, for some people, kind of spoiled horror movies for a while because it got because Scream does it masterfully, but then you have the knockoffs where it gets real wink wink and it's kind of terrible. And then Cabin in the Woods kind of brought it around. I was like, I didn't think you could get more meta than Scream. And then it like, oh, this took it can. so much further. And I was like, yeah. wow, look at him go. And like, but so with so much love and respect for the whole genre. I, okay. Can we talk about the, to me, like the scariest moment, the first, when I saw it the first time, the scariest moment was when she was making out with that wolf. <laughs> Just thought it was going to come to life. I, like, I did the way too. That, I thought it was going to bite her lip off or her tongue off or something too. I, I for sure thought, and like that just goes to show you the magic of suspense, like building of suspense, the, the music, the way, like we know it's a horror movie. So we're expecting like the scariness is all in our, it's happening only in our own minds and bodies. Like to me, that just blew me away because I so expected her face to be eaten off. But, uh, and also like, I don't know who that actor is, uh, but she really did that scene quite just on just really well with enthusiasm and like playing the part, but also like, yeah, that that's how you do it. Like you fully committed to this part. You got to give her respect for that. And for me, like it was just scary more from like an OCD kind of perspective, like putting your tongue in that fucking thing that's been hanging there for God knows how long. And Jesus Christ. Oh, I really had to talk myself down from that because I had to be like, okay, it's just, it's just a prop, which means that a prop person has wiped down that area. That's not a real wolf thing. Those, those are like Sculpey clay teeth or like acrylic that have been baked and they've been swabbed down with alcohol before she kisses them. I really had to comfort myself with that. I hate to end this conversation here, but we were just at about time. And I just want to say, no! But I want to say thank you so much, Tom. And we want to ask you, um, I think, one more question. Um, okay. Just because uh, it's Horror Movie Survival Guide, and we usually like to talk about a survival tip. Um, and I want to know if, uh, since you're new, to horror now too. Um, you're probably starting to notice some patterns, um, in things. Um, what would be your horror movie survival guide tip, uh, for someone to survive the horror of the movie or just to survive in the oh, movie? This, this specific movie or no, any uh, horror movie in general what would be your tip. Um, okay. Uh, my tip, my tip would be, um, don't, don't be too hot. Because mm. I feel like the hot ones go first. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it could be uh, a, a tip that could also be applied to quarantine, which is just really let yourself go. Um, <laughs> and you're more, 
you're more likely to survive both uh, the apocalypse in a movie and the, the apocalypse that we're currently go- going through now. Uh, that's, a, a val- that's a valid tip, man. Perfect tip. Um, <laughs> Perfect tip. I love it. So basically, chill out. Don't be too hard on yourself is what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that, that will be my tip. Um, I didn't even get to say uh, I was going to uh, include uh, t- uh, secret information about Ronald the intern, which is the part that I played. Yes, I watched it. I watched it in slow motion uh, last night. I watched the part where I'm on screen and, and I'm writing. Uh, some people have asked me the things I'm writing while I'm trying to survive while all the monsters have broken out of their things. I'm writing. Uh, I think it's a, a, a dragon bat has caught my scent. Please send help, please. But I want, and I wanted to say that I didn't. There, for those of you who watched the movie, I there is no evidence that I've been killed in this movie. No, nor, huh? nor, nor was Amy Acker. So you know, t- ten years later, I do have faith that one day there will be a sequel. Just kidding, there won't be. But if there was. I theoretically would be starring with me and Amy Acker because we did not get killed on screen. So we may have survived the, the, um, you know, the giant evil gods destroying the earth. It's, it's a possibility. And I'm just saying if there, that pitch right there, you have Ronald, the intern who has survived the giant gods taking over the earth. It's 10 years later. Let's begin. I'm on board. Amen. Would watch. Hopefully, we get to talk about it soon on Horror Movie Survival Guide. You guys, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon.com, and check out Tom Link. Tom, can you drop us your your Insta and where you want people to follow you? Oh, sure. Uh, follow me at, at Tommy Link on Instagram or at Tom Link on Twitter. Woo! Check him out. Thanks, guys, for listening. We appreciate you. See you next time. Thank you, and thank you, Tom. You're welcome.